Thank you for tuning into Sochcast. We hope you enjoy this uninterrupted listening experience. But before that, please do listen to these messages that come from those that support your favorite show. Raj Naik's talk show Fridays Live features high-profile guests from various walks of life who engage in a free-flowing and inspiring chat with him. And welcome to Fridays Live with me, Raj Naik. Today I have with me a very dear friend. He is based out of London. He is a founder of one of the world's leading human insights company. He calls himself the happiness innovator. He is a sports enthusiast and a family man. Please welcome Tony Latter. Hi, Raj. Tony, welcome. thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Tony. Uh, Tony, tell me how's it in London at the moment? Are people are working from home? They are working. Going back to office, how's 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 it going on at the moment? Yeah, most people are, are working from home where they can, and mm-hmm. um, with the lockdown, what's been really interesting is just seeing how people have changed their working ways. So where companies felt that people need to always be in an office, that's not the case anymore. There, I'm seeing a, a bigger level of trust, where companies are feeling like they know that people working from home, they deliver what they need to deliver. And there's lots of benefits of being able to work from home as well. So personally, for me, it's great, and I'm seeing more of my children uh, that, than I have done in in years, and spending less time traveling on trains. So uh, it's a, a win-win all round. That's fantastic. I mean, uh, so you're working from home at the moment. I am indeed. Yeah. Tony, you call yourself happiness innovator. What does it mean? How did this name come about? Yeah. Um, it really started with the, the Happiness Index, which is uh, a company that you, you know well, Raj. And it's really about how do we, as individuals, how do we take ownership of our own happiness, and what does that mean to each of us? But then also, how can we help promote and share that? Um, and our vision is around freedom to be human. And one of the most basic things for us as humans is to be happy. Uh, it's what provides us with our energy. It's where our relationships. Uh, come from, and uh, when we're with people where we're feeling happy, then we have a good time, and um, it's all very much about how do we spend more time in that space. So around the innovation part is just about trying to make people aware of how we have an opportunity to control our own levels of happiness, and how there are things out there that can help us to do that, and for organisations especially about. How important it is for them to have a happy workforce. Um, there's a, a, a big piece around what actually happens to our bodies when we're feeling happy and the chemical reactions that happen there, and that's the importance of why it's good to look at happiness and drive that innovation of happiness and promote that message to people. Fabulous. Uh, I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to, you know, go, go a step back right now because uh, there are lots of questions I have on that. And for those viewers who don't know, I mean, here's a disclaimer: Tony Latter is my partner from the UK. Out uh, of Cheer has started up with uh, the Happiness Index in London, and we have created our own proprietary mo- model of measuring happiness quotient of people. And uh, we are using the neuroscience analytical platform. Of what the Happiness Index has created, and also uh, learnings and the best practices from their experience, uh, have been op- since they are operating in almost 86 countries. How many countries, Tony? Yeah, it's just over 90 now. 90 countries. So we'll come back to that. I just want to hold that for a moment, Tony. I want to go back. I just want to start from your beginning, okay? Because uh, I want to know you, get to know you better, and this is what the show is all about. It's yep. about. Getting to know people, getting inspired by their journey. So, Tony, tell me a little bit about yourself, your childhood. Yeah, um, not surprising. It was a happy childhood. Um, I'm the youngest of three brothers, so there are always people around. It was pretty competitive as well. Um, whatever games we were playing, we always wanted to to win, and I think that competitive streak is probably about me wanting to always. Kind of prove myself, not to anyone else. Probably just that I could uh, I could beat my older brothers uh, at something, whether that be cricket, football, tennis, whatever it may be, the games that we're playing. But yeah, I grew up in um, in a pretty quiet place. Uh, it was a village uh, just outside of uh, London, 
and I feel really fortunate that we could what's be born that, anywhere what, in the world. What's that village called? What's it? What's the place? Yeah, it's a, a small place called Doddinghurst. It's about 30 miles outside of London. And uh, like I was saying, I just feel really blessed that having the opportunity to grow up near a major city. So we could be born anywhere in the world. We, we don't get to choose where that happens. And being able to uh, be close to somewhere like London, where it is vibrant, there's lots of energy, um, there's a, a buzz, the pace of life is, is incredibly quick. But then also being able to kind of live and grow up in a, a small village was great because it gave us that freedom to kind of explore and um, and just spend time kind of outside and it, it was an amazing place to grow up. So what? Uh, tell me a bit about your parents. Yeah, so um, yeah, my mum and dad grew up in, uh, in a working class uh, background. Um, my granddad worked in a, a paper mill. My other granddad worked there's a, a place where we grew up, uh, near where we grew up is a place called the Dartford Crossing, which is like a tunnel that goes underneath the River Thames. My granddad was uh, a toll man, so his job was as cars came over was to collect the money and give the change back. Um, and my parents have got amazing values and that's what they've always instilled in, in myself, my brothers and a lot of how I am now is because of how they've kind of helped shape us as, as people. And I'm a big believer that people are a, uh, kind of a reflection of the environment and the people they grew up around. And I feel really pleased that uh, I'm really proud of my parents for the way that they've done that with me and my two brothers. Um, so yeah, it's a, a really happy uh, childhood. And my dad is, uh, is quite competitive. Um, and uh, he always wants to win. Uh, he's been successful in his own right in his career and um, a lot of that he's passed on to, to us as uh, his children and something that I look for uh, in inspiration. And my mum is one of the, the kindest people that you'd, uh, you'd ever meet. She'd always have time for people. She'd always listen to people. Uh, she's always there for pieces of advice as well. So. Yeah, I feel that between my parents, there was a really good balance there that I've tried to take as I've grown up the best bits of both uh, and, and use that to kind of shape who I am as a person. So when you were young, what did you want to become? I mean, oh, you're a happy child, you're still a happy bunch now. So, yeah. so what, what, what did you want to become when you were a child? What, what was your, what did you think you would want to become? Yeah, so there was the, the usual, uh, which was around things like wanting to be a, a footballer. That was a big one for me. Uh, growing up, I was a football mad, had played it pretty much 24-7 with my brothers. Um, that was the number one. If I couldn't be a footballer, then I wanted to be an astronaut. Um, and then kind of... If not a footballer, what did, what did you want to become? I wanted to be an astronaut. Astronaut. Interesting. Yeah, yeah there aren't what? too many space rockets. Football, I can understand you are playing and I think uh, everybody in the UK is a football fan or a cricket yep. fan. Yeah, but, but why astronaut? Where did that thought come from? It was just a fascination that I had with, um, with space. Um, and where I grew up, like I say, was in a village and you could see the stars, you could see the moon really clearly. From my bedroom window every night when I went to sleep, I could look out and I could look up into the stars. and. That was always a dream that I had. That was something that uh, that I was really interested in and really passionate about when I was younger, growing up. Okay, and then where did you? What did you study and what did you do? Yeah, so what was the next step? yeah, so at school, uh, academically, I did all right. Um, but what I think school really taught me was more about how you deal with people, and not necessarily the subjects that you take and what you learn, but actually how do you cope in situations. How do you cope when you're um, talking in front of your class? How do you hold yourself? All of those kind of life lessons that you get through school. And I enjoyed school, uh, mainly because I got to play a huge amount of sport, uh, spend time in team environments, which was really, um, was something that I really enjoyed, being part of a team, working towards a common goal. And then as kind of the years went by, I went to, to university and that's where big things started to happen for me, where my life started to change quite significantly. Uh, just being away from home, being able to kind of explore. Um, and yeah, some, some big things happened, which were 
um, and maybe we'll touch on these, but one of them was about how um, I met my co-founders at the Happiness Index. Another one is that's where I met my wife. And then um, I also learned how my brain worked. And that was a really interesting thing for me because all throughout my life, you kind of, you grow up and you go to school and you're taught in a certain way. And then actually, when I got to university, I, it wasn't about just being taught in a certain way. It was about experimenting and innovating and trying to find ways in which works for you as an individual. And I'm a very visual person. So being able to draw things out and I think that's where the creativity and the innovation kicks in. But it was almost like a, a you turn the light on. I felt like there was more, I could retain more information. My brain was firing in a, in a different way and it was just something that really inspired me. Interesting. So you met your co-founders there and you yeah. met your wife there yeah. and obviously you learned how your brain is wired and how, how you think. So tell me, I mean, uh, was that your first love, Tony? Um, well, my wife. Yeah, I mean, I, I've asked. I mean, you met her yeah. for sure. Yeah, absolutely. We were 20 uh, when we met each other. Up until then, um, I think that it was, you just kind of know when you meet somebody, and I know that sounds kind of very like rom-com style background, but yeah, we, we were inseparable and it's, she's always the person that I can turn to. So whatever the situation is, I can always turn to for advice. She'd always help support in whichever way that uh, she can. And she's always been like that. Um, as we get older and as like, there were choices that needs to be made about starting a business or staying in my role, like in a job that uh, was paying me very well. Uh, and her support through that was was incredible. And there's also been some really difficult times where she's always the person that I can go to that will listen, who knows me better than anybody else. Um, and is always the one that's just supporting me to to follow what my dreams are and what I want to do. And so having the backing and the support of somebody like that is just incredible. I think that, that most uh, spouses play that role of, you know, somebody you can confide in and somebody who will show you the mirror as well. So, so yeah. yeah. So, so then, I mean, uh, how many years did you go? How long did, before you got married? I'd say it was seven years before we got married. Um, after about five, lots of questions from people. Uh, when are you going to get married and the expectation that that's going to happen? Um, so we were 27 when we got married. Um, and yeah, it's um, looking back at the day itself it was great. It was, um, we got married in a place close to where we live. Uh, and and it's, a, it's an old castle from the 15th century. And yeah, just the history around the, the places uh, is great. And it's somewhere that we go now and we take our children back to and somewhere that we still visit and we think of very fondly. Great. Uh, now you're married, you've got how many children you've got? Uh, how many kids? Boys, yeah, two boys. Boy, yeah. yeah, great. So now, coming back to your co-founders, was it in university? Did you know in university that you guys will come together? I mean, was that a plan or it happened by default? No, there, there was no plan. Um, went to university. I can remember kind of uh, getting there, arriving, and we lived in a, uh, a big building. There were 30 of us uh, who lived there. And I'd say 10 of us now are still really good friends. and. We meet up kind of a couple of times every year and we still kind of reminisce about the old days, but we've all moved on, we've all got families uh, and it's been lovely to see how as a group we've kind of all grown and developed and we've brought up families of our own. Um, but with Matt and Chris, who are the co-founders of the, the Happiness Index, we never had this grand plan that one day when we were at university we'd eventually start a business together. That happened organically. But there's something that did develop is just this friendship um, and that's incredibly empowering when you're in a business with people that you trust you've known for um, 20 years now and with Matt in particular Matt was the best man at my wedding and I was the best man at his we traveled the world together um, he's the godson to my two children so being able to just be around two of your friends and go on this journey with each other and you've been in businesses before Raj and with House of Cheer now you know how important it is to have good people around you and share the journey that you're on with people that you enjoy being with. And yeah, I feel incredibly lucky that 
with Matt and with Chris that we're on this journey together and that I can share it with people that have been my friends and will continue to be my friends in the future. You know, when you told me that uh, you are best man at Cheetah's wedding, the thought that came to my mind was the scene from Friends where they, they fight with each other, Ross and Joey, to be yeah. the best. So I was just thinking about it. It just crossed my mind. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so tell me, how did the, the happiness index come about? Yeah. How, where? So, yeah, so Matt and Chris, um, they'd already been in business together. Uh, before the Happiness Index, so they ran a, uh, a marketing agency. And one day they just wanted to understand how happy their clients were to start with. And the idea being that if you can understand how happy people were, it will give you a red flag. If people weren't happy, then you could understand, try and talk to them, understand what was it that meant that they weren't happy with the service or the products or whatever it may be. And once you understood that and what would make them happy, then it was really easy to then for them to have the conversations and ask them what needed to happen, how could they improve it. And it was a way that they could do that organically and just in a way that was very human um, and was in a way that was very light touch. And so they started to develop that and their clients really enjoyed it. They then decided, well, if we're doing this for our clients, why don't we ask our employees as well? Because it's really important for us to understand how our employees are, are feeling. And once we understand how they're feeling, we can start to get a view of what the world looks like from their perspective. And then once we understand that at an individual level, but then also as a collective level, we can then start to, as a business, they could then start to put things in place that would help develop the happiness levels within the organization. And when we're happy, a, a chemical reaction happens within our bodies and we release more serotonin. And serotonin is, it's a mood stabilizer. So what that allows us to do is, it allows us to feel happier. It allows us to remain calmer. It allows us to be more innovative, more creative. Uh, and these are all qualities that within a business help people to feel like they can be more productive. So that's where the very early ideas of the, the happiness index came in. And then people wanted to, they wanted to buy the happiness index from Matt and Chris as a product. So could we, they buy a license to it? It was never designed to be a business. It was just designed to be a tool that helped them internally. But like most problems, if you in business have a problem, other companies are likely to have a problem as well. And that's where the innovation and the creativity comes from. And I was working for a company um, selling financial technology and it was a conversation that was a bit out of the blue and Matt and Chris came to me and said, would I be interested in, in doing this? And running a business was always something that I was incredibly passionate about doing and I was a stage in my life where I was uh, just turned 30 and I had a, a James my eldest child was one and I just felt if I didn't do it then it would become incredibly difficult to do because you then start getting into um, that kind of career treadmill and I just decided that it was too good an opportunity not to do and it was something that looking back now it's been six years and that just been incredible and the business idea that we had at the beginning is nothing like the business we have now but yeah. as you know with uh, House of Cheer and Happiness.me you have an idea then that idea snowballs into another one another one another one you start innovating you start working with partners and then you start thinking of all of these different ideas that you could have and yeah it's just been this incredible journey that we're on and yeah there's many more years to come. Yeah, Tony, I, I, I'm going to ask you because, uh, you know, when we started happiness.me, we had no inkling of that something like this, people are also doing something similar in the similar zone anywhere in the world, right? And uh, I had a job, I had a cushy job doing very well and one fine morning I quit and uh, I decided I just want to be happy. And that's when I started speaking to a lot of people and I realized that a lot of CEOs and CXOs are not happy. And many of them told me, Raj, you're very courageous. How did you do that? You know, probably I was in that stage of my life where my daughters have grown up, the education is over. So probably my risk-taking ability was slightly different from some of those people who are not happy. And that got me speaking also to a lot of people. And that's when we started working with a lot of people with behavioral psychology, neuroscience and things like that. And that's when we Googled to find who can give us the best platform. And that's when we... You know, the, I don't know whether I've told you this, Tony, but you should know on the show. Uh, 
once we identified who would be our best partners in giving us the tech platform and best practices and things like that uh, we shortlisted the happiness index but i must tell you something today which i never told you so far we must have sent you some 30 emails we must have left some 30 40 voice messages before we got a response and you know and finally we had to send a mail saying we are coming to london and i remember i was flying back from my daughter's wedding in the us and namrata flew from here we spent the whole day from 9 am till 5:30 pm and uh, somehow we just connected right and by which time uh, i just want to know from you how do you see you know because uh, you've seen the happiness.me model and the thing so what is your view on that i mean since you slow now you've been part of it and you've helped us uh, validate it and things like that so i just want your view on that so i think that firstly sorry raj i didn't know that that was how many times <laughs> you were trying to get a hold of us um uh and then that that bit about um you said that day that we were together and where we just kind of connect and i think that's really important that we have um there's kind of two things that i think always kind of shape how things develop one is around the energy that gets created around something and the other one is around the direction so how can we drive something forward and i think that's what i took out of that day was the passion and the enthusiasm that the three of us had in that room and even though we were in there all day it felt like it was half an hour it just went by really quickly and that's because of the energy the passion that was created and then the direction is we had some pretty big plans in that room of what we actually think that we can achieve that go way beyond just how can businesses develop and how can businesses thrive but actually what's the difference that we can make to millions of people around the world and the way that they think and feel about working and i feel really fortunate that I've only really ever had two jobs in my life. I don't consider what I do now a job because I've just got so much passion for what we do. Never do I get that Sunday night feeling where I'm concerned or worried about going to work tomorrow because of exactly what we do and what's really excited me is being working with yourself, Namrata, the happiness.me model and having a view of what of what happiness means in different cultures. So something that is in your model that I really like is around gratitude. And gratitude is something that kind of in London and in kind of like western cultures we don't really think about too much. It is very important that we're thankful for what we have, but it's not something that is predominantly something that businesses think about. So it's been really interesting understanding in an Indian cultural perspective. and that's what's been amazing about working with you guys and the model that you have is about how there are universal truths there are things that no matter where you're from in the world there are things that need to happen around the relationships and the positivity that we have with others and then there are these subtle differences that just make the world an incredibly interesting and wonderful place that is different from what you would see elsewhere and that's what i really like about working with the happiness.me model is just understanding these subtle differences that there are uh thank you tony thank you very much and i'm we are we are very very excited super excited and happy to be partnering with you and uh, over the last few months it's taken us almost uh, 12 months for us to finally launch our product but uh, and we've been it's almost like 9 months from the time we met so it sounded like pregnancy and labor and finally we delivered <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. so so uh thank you for that uh i want to ask you how sustainable is happiness so that's a really interesting question and the the key behind happiness is that it's about understanding the key moments that are happening around you and it's just not possible to run at a level of happiness permanently because of the what happens within our body when we experience happiness we we'd become too fatigued we we couldn't sustain that that level of that permanent state of happiness but happiness in its own right is something that it comes in moments and it stays with us for our life and it's about trying to find the the joy and the excitement around what we do and it's about surrounding ourselves with with good people it's about having a purpose within our lives and trying to understand what is it that we want to do with our lives and that's where you get this long lasting happiness and there's two types of of happiness as well so um there's there's type 1 and type 2 and they're not im- imaginatively named 
But the type one happiness is about instant gratification. So it's almost things like, that's what I think joy is, that instant gratification of, at a very basic level, should I eat that piece of cake? Should I see this friend? Should I do something that is there and it's in the moment? And then there's the type two happiness, which is about the longer term. It's about, that tends to be around our careers, relationships with like our, our partners. It's having children. And if you have children, there are moments where it is incredibly um, happy and powerful and the emotions that you feel as a parent are just unbelievable. And then there are times where your children frustrate you. They make you angry, they're cross. It's not a permanent state of happiness, but the moments that you get are incredibly powerful. And that's what this longer term type two happiness is about. And it's not possible just to have type one happiness in our life, because if we just had this instant gratification all of the time, we feel like our lives are missing something. So I was really fortunate uh, recently to, um, to host an event with um, a, a well-renowned psychologist in the UK and um, he, uh, he has his clinic in Harley Street and we were talking around this and predominantly the types of um, clients that he have are supermodels, rock and roll stars, um, actors, actresses, and for him, the, one of the biggest things is that that is all about type one happiness. It's that instant gratification, it's going out seven nights a week, it's that adulation of being famous. And then there's this empty piece that sits behind, which is the, what is my life? What am I developing? What is, what am I, my legacy? What am I gonna leave? And, and that's incredibly important for people to understand that we need a balance of type one and type two happiness within our life because if we have too much of one or the other actually we're not happy and you need that balance uh, Tony so tell me uh, yeah uh, I asked you this question about uh, how sustainable is happiness today the environment that we are in people are working from homes right and uh, uh, there is a lot of anxiety there's a lot of fear and uh, there is also this uh, disconnection because people are not meeting people, they have the touch and feel is not there and things like that. And uh, you've done some studies across the globe. I've, 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 I've just read about it and I've seen your website and things like that. So what is the feeling you're getting? What's the feedback? What is the things people are going through at the moment? And uh, once you do that, what do you think needs to be done for them to feel happy at this moment? Because all the people are working and who are, you know, who feel, how do I be happy when I can't get out of the house? I've got my own constraints and things like that. So, Abe, I want to know what's the studies have shown globally uh, over the last uh, six months that we've all been under lockdown. And two, I want to know from you, what should people, uh, individuals do to be, to bounce back or get back into that happy state of mind? Yeah. So you're right, Raj, we've run a study recently uh, around this. And I think what's been really interesting is people feel anxious around the most basic things that we take for granted. So if we look at a neuroscience as an example, one of the first uh, things that we will ever react to is, am I safe in my environment? And we take that for granted so often because the answer to that for all of our lives has tended to be yes. If you go to work, you're going to be safe. And now that has been taken away from people. So that's what drives a lot of the anxiety that sits behind people. And in our studies, what we've been seeing is that people are anxious about traveling to their workplace. So in the UK, it's very common for people to travel by train into uh, the big cities. We see that replicated kind of in the US as well, where people don't feel comfortable going and being on trains at this point in time and commuting into um, the office. The other part that we're seeing is that we had this piece where when lockdown happened, people started to really enjoy working from home because for too long they've been going into an office and they may be out the house 12 hours a day and then they'll come home and they'll spend a couple of hours with their children or their families or their loved ones. So you wouldn't have much time to themselves. So we saw this big boom that actually people were really happy to be working from home. But as lockdown's gone on and in the UK now, we've got some restrictions of, of lockdown. And what's been happening is people have gone too far the other way, where now they feel like they're isolated, they're on their own, they don't see people. And 
I mentioned balance earlier on between type one and type two happiness, and actually balance is really important in our lives in all in all manner of ways because actually too much of one thing, and as humans, we we tend not to like it anymore. We want to have an alternative and a change. And so what we're seeing now is more people are wanting to feel that sense of connectedness and be together again with people. And it's great being able to do Zoom calls. And I know that we do a number of Zoom calls between us, but actually nothing replaces when you came to London and we were uh, with Namrata and we were in the room together. And when we came over to Mumbai and we spent the week with, with you and the team, and it's that sense of connectedness and that energy that you pick up off of other people that people are tending to miss and you don't replace that with um, Zoom calls or webinars. So it's about how can organisations and just in life in general, how can we create that opportunity for people to feel connected? And I think there's a huge opportunity now for technology to play a part in this and the Video calls are a great way of doing that, but then there are other technologies that I'm seeing out there now where it's about being in kind of an avatar world where you can start connecting with people in a slightly different way. And there's a huge amount for technology to play in this role right now. And I think that's certainly something that we're seeing more and more often in our research is people are saying that we want to have more face time with people now. And within lockdown, there was always going to be an opportunity for people to reflect and for life to slow down and that's been really important and now what we're seeing is in our because uh, we gather feedback from all over the world and we're seeing this as a, a universal trend not just something that's happening here in the UK is that sense of connectedness of being together with people is something that we're missing and as humans we're not built for isolation if you look at all of our evolution through time we're built to be around other people and we now have this enforced isolation, which is incredibly hard for us to deal with and trying to find ways in which as organizations, you can connect your people is going to be incredibly important as we move forward. Yeah, no, I, I can understand. But there's also this feeling and we've been speaking to a lot of people now. And there's also this feeling that because people are at home uh, and they are not able to uh, because people are different circumstances, right? Not everybody has the comfort of having a separate office at home and things like that. And then the whole family is there. So if it's a joint family in the Indian context and things like that, they're all living together, right? So, or they have a dog or children or whatever it is, right? They, they are not able to compartmentalize the time because earlier you went left home at 9.30 and you probably left office at 6.30 and reached home at 8 o'clock or whatever the time. But there was office time and there was personal time. But one of the yeah. things today is it's got it's the lines have got blurred because so there is this feeling that people are overworking. Is that the is that the feeling that you get? Does the research tell you that? I mean, is that the feedback that you are getting? Yeah, absolutely. It's incredibly hard for people to to switch off. And like you say, it's really important that in the past we've almost had this compartmentalization where. I go to the office, I work, when I come home, I'm at home, I'm with my family, I'm with my uh, my loved ones and I can switch off and, and that's incredibly difficult now um, and you've seen it plenty of times when my kids run in when we're on a Zoom call and they have a little chat and, um, and in many ways it's really nice that we're able to do that but then it also makes it incredibly difficult where, where do you switch off? At what point do you have that physical act of right I'm now going to stop working and now I'm going to go and I'm going to be um, who I am outside of work and that's really hard and so there are a number of things that people can do and if part of it is about routine even just something as simple as go for a 15 minute walk before you start work then when you finish work go for a 15 minute walk give yourself that ability to switch off and I think just because we stop working at a certain point in time doesn't mean that our brains have had a chance to slow down and stop digesting what's been happening in the day. So there's definitely things that we can do. And it's really important for companies to help support their employees through that because it's incredibly challenging. And what would be your message to organizations or employees? Well, that's the business you are in, right? I mean, if there are three things that you tell them today, in this environment, because obviously it has changed from what it was six months ago 
we don't know what the future is going to look like. But in today's environment, if you had to say three things that every organization must do, what would those three things be? Yeah. Okay. So I think the um, the first one is that you've got to treat people as humans and not just a number or another employee. So it's about making allowances for the fact that there will be things that are happening in people's lives that is incredibly stressful and the situations that people find themselves in now are situations we'd never have even thought possible kind of six, nine months ago. And so just having that allowance of understanding and that empathy of what people are going through is incredibly strong because during lockdown at the Happiness Index, we were really keen to stress to our people that they weren't working from home trying to deal with a pandemic. They were trying to deal with a pandemic working from home. And that ever so such subtle difference that actually we were living through a global pandemic that we haven't seen. Things aren't going to be normal for people. They're going to need support. They're going to need to be listened to. We're going to need to find new ways of businesses of engaging with them. So I think that's the first one is just treating people as humans and not another number. Another one is about giving them the space and the time that they need. And that's something that has always been really interesting to me as businesses, that we've often associated how much work and how hard people work by the amount of time that they spend in the office or at work. And actually, it's not necessarily about time. It's about well, what's the output that people have been delivering. If they work for 12 hours a day, but they've been incredibly slow in the level of work or the pace of work, that doesn't mean that they're working harder than somebody who's been able to do their work in nine hours or six hours. So actually linking the amount of the value of your team, your employees, your people to the output that they create rather than the work, the amount of time is something that's incredibly important. And particularly now more so than ever where we're working from home and having that trust in people to deliver their outputs. And that's quite hard for organizations because traditionally we've always worked in a kind of a almost like a command and control way of having hierarchies within organizations and and that's really difficult to make that switch of actually how do you measure output rather than time and it's about having really clear expectations of what the role is what the outputs are going to be what are the objectives for the company the teams for each individual and once you have that structure in place it becomes incredibly empowering for people so I think that's another thing that companies can do. I think the, just to echo the point from earlier, which is probably the third point, which is the most important, is to give people a voice. In an office, it was always easy to understand how people felt because you could see them and you could pick up on things. You could understand how busy certain teams were. You could understand how people felt. If one of your colleagues was down, you'd normally see it in their body language and you could have that conversation with them. And now that's just not possible. So being able to give people that voice, that space, that time to be able to connect with other people. So every call that we have at the Happiness Index starts with a very basic roundup of how are people feeling? What are the challenges that they're facing at that point in time? Just to give them the space to be able to talk and connect to their, their colleagues. and. I think that that's incredibly important that people feel like they have a voice and that just because there isn't this central place where people go to work anymore, that they still feel like they can contribute. They still feel like how they are thinking and feeling is important. And that's something that we see in um, every day at the Happiness Index. And we have a, a product called Employee Voice, which is something that we originally used internally because we wanted a way of being able to bring some data and some um, some insight into how people were thinking and feeling and how could we trend that over time and how could we see if we could change one thing in the happiness of our employees, what impact did that have on other areas and so having that space and that opportunity for them to have that voice is incredibly important. Very nice. Tony, there are a lot of individuals here sitting and uh... You are the happiness innovator. So, so tell me five things that you tell people they should they should be doing now for them to have a happy state of mind. Five things. Okay. So, I think the um, the first one is about looking for opportunities. So, at the moment we have um, 
we have a situation going on around us where we feel, often we feel out of control. That there are things that are being decided by governments and health ministers and scientists around the world and we don't feel like we, we necessarily have the control over our lives that we, we once had. But there are still opportunities out there for us that we can, we can take, whether that be the ways in which we, um, we connect with our families, with our friends, whether that be within our uh, careers, the, the way in which we work. There's, there's opportunities out there, so we should never stop looking for opportunities in the way that we, the way that we think about the world. There's opportunities for us there. Another one is to think about and just take this time for reflection and this piece of it around acknowledgement, this bit of understanding how we as individuals are, what we have around us, the relationships that we have with the people around us and use this time now to have that opportunity to acknowledge around how thankful we are for certain relationships and if relationships we feel aren't where they should be, use the time and the space we have now to, to maybe repair some of those relationships. That's incredibly empowering where if through no fault of your own time drifts and it's been a while since you picked up the phone to a, somebody that you care about, pick up the phone, speak to them uh, and, and look for that acknowledgement of the relationships that we have. And I think that's really, um, really important. I'd say another one is look for something that gives you purpose. And again, this relates back to kind of um, that, that opportunity to kind of reflect a little bit. As we've certainly seen the world slow down, we're not all running at 100 miles an hour like we, we have been previously. And that opportunity for reflection can help us understand what is our purpose and what are our goals and what is it that we want to achieve. And, and we can do that in this time. It was really interesting that um, I was, today, earlier on, I was re-watching the uh, episode that you had with uh, Leandro in a, about how he had this goal. He wanted to be an Olympian. He wanted to follow in the footsteps of his father and that gave him purpose and meaning and something to go and aim for. And I think it's important that we, we find things within our lives that drive us and give us that level of direction. So I know lots of people now that are thinking about actually what can I do now that's different What's the purpose? What's the bit that I'm going to do that's going to make a difference to people? So I think that that's important. Um, another one is look for opportunities for some form of, of growth, some personal growth. I know loads of people who have started new things because they've had the time and the space to do that. People who are playing an instrument now that they haven't had time to do before. I know lots of people who have started cooking uh, and being really enthusiastic around cooking now. Um, spending time, even if it's as, as straightforward as trying to learn another language. Um, look for these different types of opportunities where you get this element of growth. And I think this final piece is, it kind of links back into what we spoke about a moment ago, which is about what can companies do, but also what can we do as well as individuals. And it's about this piece of enablement. And so actually for companies, how can they give people the resources they need in order to perform in their roles. But us as individuals, how can we enable ourselves to be the best version we can be of each other? How do we drive this level of happiness within each other? And it's that element of enablement of not that I have the opportunity to, and to help how I feel as an individual, but happiness can be contagious. We've all been around people where when they enter a room, you just see the room light up and you have that energy that people bring to a room. And we have that all within ourselves that during this time where we feel maybe we're not in control or when we read the news that cases are spiking and um, we're in a second wave, there's a huge amount of negativity in the world, which is unfortunately there and has always been there and will continue to be there. But then there's also this amazing amount of positivity that's there and if we can enable that within ourselves and others around us we have this opportunity to make the world an incredibly happy place and I'd rather spend time and effort looking at that rather than seeing what we're, we're seeing in the news sure yeah uh, but, but but you so we need to have hope absolutely we need to have hope and we need to consciously make an effort to bring in positivity Absolutely. We can't control what happens around us. 
we can absolutely control how we respond to situations. And that's mm. something that kind of in the innovation of happiness, something that we try and get across to organizations. We try and get that across into um, the millions of employees around the world who are, who are using um, our, our software is, we all have a way in which we can respond to our environment and the people around us. And we have a choice of how we decide to move forward. And it's absolutely looking for those opportunities where we can take the positives out of life. And you mentioned people have started cooking and doing things, you can pick up a thing. One of the things which I recommend to people, and I tell this, some of the best universities in the world are offering free courses, you know, in different subjects. And this is your opportunity where you don't have to spend yeah. money on tuition fee and you can get certified program for some best universities in the world. So for those of you who don't, you can just Google and you'll find uh, subjects, various disciplines and you, you may be able to do that. I've got Ram Kamal Mukherjee, Indranil Gupta, and uh, who else? I mean, these are the two names that have popped up. Deepak and Nehmi are still there. And uh, so that's great. So, Tony, I'm moving away because you're a happy man and uh, you, the, you built a business around happiness and you go around spreading cheer and happiness. And that's why probably why we connect. Okay, because we, we have the same, yeah. purpose, same mission. Uh, give me one instance that has been where happiness has been your most motivating factor and then I will move away from happiness and come back to you. Yeah, I think it's... Um, that one moment. Yeah, and I think that one children, that, that one point is around my children because I want to create that happy environment for them That's and that's where a lot of my joy comes from, a lot of why I am the way that I am, the energy levels that I create, um, just trying to have that space for them where they can thrive, they can develop, they can make the mistakes that children make, but feel like they're doing it in a safe space. And that's the bit that I always try with, like we talk about seeding happiness a lot, and it's really important to do that in a business context. But I also think that around my children of how can I seed happiness within their lives and how can that be something that they carry forward uh, for the remainder of their lives where they look back at their childhood, it was full of happiness, it was full of people, laughter, lots of energy, lots of things happening um, and just a, a life that's full of joy and I think that's the seeding of happiness that um, that I know my wife and I is something that we, is something we're really passionate about. Yes. Uh, is your wife as uh, enthusiastic and happy because you are always happy and kept, uh, whenever we talk you always charge. Is she similar DNA? Is it um, a similar Yes, I'd say her outlook is always positive. I'd say that she's a warrior as well. Uh, she's in the other room, so I hope that she can't hear me uh, when I say this. But, so be careful yeah. what you say. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But I think it's... Um, absolutely, yeah. Um, and I think it's... Um, we're a perfect balance. And like I say, I've mentioned balance quite a few times here that I'm very positive. I just want to go and, and do things. And she's often somebody who helps slow me down a little bit uh, and maybe makes me think a, a little bit more about what we're doing and why we're doing something. Um, and then likewise, I'm the one who will just tell her things are going to be okay. This is how things are and, and we can find a way through it. So I think if we were both like each other, we'd probably annoy each other. Um, so it's quite nice that we've got that difference. Yeah. What, what is the thing she tells you that the most annoying habit that you have? <laughs> I'll try and keep this down to one rather than the long list but um, I think that it's mainly about um, telling her everything's going to be okay um, because what often happens is I like to solve problems so that's one of the great things about innovating and being in that space we get to play and create and experiment and work out the solutions for things I think Elizabeth would probably say the thing that she finds frustrating is She'd want to process something first and then find out, all right, let's move on. I've dealt with that. Now we'll find a solution. Whereas I want to solve something there and then. And if there's a problem, we can solve it. And I think that annoys her sometimes that I don't give her that kind of that, that space for her to just process something and then work out how she can solve something. I can relate to you and I hope my wife is not watching. But <laughs> she sometimes worries as well and I'm like, she said nothing bothers you, you don't, you know, you don't react, you're, you're a cool cucumber, you know, you don't get stressed and I'm like, 
but I can't do anything about it. What's the point of getting stressed? You know, let's decide how to react to it. Tony, we've got very limited time, so I'm going to ask you, sports enthusiasts, which is your team? Whom are you rooting for? Yeah, so um, the two biggest sports that I follow, one is football, uh, and the team that I support is uh, a team called Tottenham Hotspur. Um, it's a team I've supported all my life. My brothers support them. And actually, one of the reasons why I love sports so much is because it's about bringing people together. It's that sense of belonging. It's that when you're little and you go into a stadium and you hear the noise, you see the scale, the size of some of the stadiums. That, and that's something that sport means family to me. And it means meeting up with my dad, my brothers regularly. Um, it means when I was younger, my parents supported me in all of the sports that we played. And my mum would come and watch me in the morning. My dad would watch my brother in the afternoon. Then one of them would go and watch my oldest brother. So sport is always family to me. And the other one uh, that I'm really passionate about is cricket. Um, and the team that I support is um, Essex because that's the county that I grew up in um, in, in the UK. And um, they're doing very well at the moment. Uh, they've won the county championship uh, for two years in a row now. They won the T20 Blast here. And one of the things that I'm really keen to do, Raj, is try and time a visit over to come and watch the IPL with I you. Know, but, I know, I know. We discussed the IPL and I told you, yeah, I will yeah, get yeah. you to spend an evening together. We'll watch a few matches together. Unfortunately, I mean, it's not my fault. But, but you can, <laughs> now, now we will be watching it the same way you are watching it. So we'll be... You know, it's happening, but the fact, but the good thing is it's happening and, and I'm sure it'll be quite interesting. Tony Latter, thank you so much for doing this for me today. It was wonderful speaking to you. I could go on and on and I hope you got some golden nuggets from what he said. Uh, it's a very complicated subject, happiness. I've tried to get the best out of uh, Tony. Thank you so much, Tony, and love to Elizabeth and the children and we shall connect soon. Yeah. Thanks, Raj. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this Sochcast. What is your Soch? Send us your comments on our Facebook page and Instagram page. It's time for you to do your own Sochcast. At Sochcast, apni Soch dunia ko sunao. Sochcast.